dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. One of the most intriguing figures in the New Testament is St. Paul. Most commentators spend their lives speaking of Paul's theology and his relationship with Christ. But Paul was also a leader who left a legacy of leadership to his followers. And one of his closest disciples was Titus. In Paul's letter to Titus, we find the heart of a leader speaking to his leader about the task he has appointed him. In Paul's own words, a leader is God's steward. Welcome, everyone, to the St. John Leadership Institute. We're here to help you to combine your faith with your leadership, meaning that I think that God wants to sanctify you by asking you to serve as a leader. And I actually think that through your leadership, God's also going to sanctify the world. And so let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I've got some good news here to proclaim to you today. We're going to be looking together at the letter of St. Paul to Titus. And the reason we're doing this is because St. Paul was a terrific apostle, terrific evangelizer, terrific spreader of the gospel, and saint, as we know, one of the greatest of all time. And St. Paul left behind three letters that are called his pastoral letters, meaning he wrote them to men whom he had chosen to be in charge of the churches that he founded. These are great because for many reasons, but one of the greatest reasons is that they leave behind the spiritual legacy of a leader and how he sees the importance of leadership with respect to his faith. And that's why you're here. You're Catholic leaders. You're Catholic business leaders. You come from all over. You run organizations. You run, you manage teams. You have great responsibilities. Your own businesses, some of you, you're actually the owners. Welcome to everyone. And so, some are just involved in the professional life. But as such, know the weight of having to keep your word, deliver on promises, make things happen in an appointed time, overcome adversity, etc. And I just want to greet you all by saying that God has a purpose for your leadership. You are not in the position that you are by accident. In fact, God has a design that he's working out through you being where you are. And that design is both for the betterment of the world through your talents, but also for your own sanctification and your own betterment through the task that's been given to you. The whole secret is to learn to look at what you do as God sees it and to not look at what you do simply as the general world around you defines your position. Because although that's fine, there's nothing necessarily wrong with the way the world defines your position. It's also going to be limited, though, by the perspective that comes from the world. And that's, again, not necessarily a big negative thing. 
but it's, it's also truncated. There's a deeper understanding, a wisdom about our lives that comes from the perspective of faith that I want you to receive. Because if I, the, the, the deeper perspective is, how does God look upon my leadership? And what is God doing in my life by giving me the power that he's given to me? I mean, I'm owning a company or I'm raising children in the home right now. I mean, the leadership of a mother, it's incredible. The leadership of a father over his family, it's incredible. The, the responsibility. And so many times I think our faith life forgets to address that responsibility. We almost leave apart a whole sector of our humanity and we speak about things like the heart or things like the intelligence or things like our morality and we leave behind this huge experience that's so precious when I actually bear the responsibility of the common good that's shared by a community. And that's where leadership steps in. Wherever there's a common good, it's been entrusted to its leader to defend and to promote. And that sense of responsibility for a shared thing, a shared set of values, a shared set of circumstances, especially it's found in different areas, but it's especially keen in the world of work. And so I want to address you leaders in the workspace to say God has a plan and a vision. And if I could align my vision with God's vision for what I do, my life will become so much more enriched, and I will be so much more zealous to use my position and authority for the world's betterment, both by making great goods and services and taking care of my people properly and sustaining the business itself, but all with a deeper understanding of what's going on. I'll approach it with spiritual eyes, with the eyes of faith. And this is what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to waken human beings up who have these really intense positions and who have great responsibilities on their shoulders to the fact that God is ready to meet them there and that what happens to you in your workspace actually is part of God's plan for your life. And so we come to the letter of St. Titus. St. Paul turns back and writes St. Titus and says Titus was with Paul on his missionary journeys. We know this. So as St. Paul would go evangelizing, he had Titus with him who would be helping him, but also preaching the gospel with him. And of course, he's learning from St. Paul because St. Paul is St. Paul. I mean, <laughs> he's kind of a towering giant amongst the, the, the missionaries. And so he's learning from him. And when, what, what St. Paul would do is after he established the church in a given place, he would leave behind one of his closest disciples in order to then run that church in that place. And that itself is, of course, educative for us because there's a whole lesson there of how you properly form your next generation. He has a succession plan. In other words, <laughs> when I leave behind, I've actually already formed someone in place who will leave behind people who will be able to, they'll be able to form in place and so forth. Then St. Paul would form St. Titus and then left him behind on the Isle of Crete, it's a, uh, it's a small Greek island just south of Greece. And St. Paul had founded the church there and then left all of the church, with all of its problems, of course, <laughs> in the hands of one of his closest hand-picked form disciples named St. Titus. And he went and wrote St. Titus a letter. Most likely they think he was written during his uh, first imprisonment in Jerusalem around the year 64 AD. You know, who knows what all that comes down to, but it basically means that St. Paul's writing from prison and giving direction to Titus about how to do his job. 
So that's a context. The, what's really happening here, though, is that you have the spirituality of the great saint who carries the fiscal and the logistical burden of a church on his shoulders, training his successor to not only be a great saint, but to also carry that burden. And I find that so applicable. So even though it's St. Paul writing to a future bishop, an episcopon in Greek, right? An overseer, a bishop uh, of the Catholic Church, it's extremely applicable to what you're living as well because you also have that call to be a saint and to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to oversee the great responsibilities that have been given to you to make your deadlines, to lead your team to the goals, to overcome personality conflicts, to bring great talent to the forefront. All those things that are just part and parcel of your life were also part and parcel of Titus's life. And here's St. Paul giving him a letter dedicated to the specific circumstances of his island of Crete, ah, yes, but with lessons that we're going to glean from it. And I can't wait to dive into that letter with you. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All right, so open your Bibles. I want to look with you at the first chapter of St. Paul's letter to St. Titus. And the chapter begins with a typical kind of greeting, you know, St. Paul, servant of the apostle of Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, right? He goes on to write to Titus, my child, grace and peace from God, the father of Christ Jesus, our savior. Very first line, St. Paul asserts that he is a servant of God. Right there, you have the essence of the first chapter that he's going to be pointing out to St. Titus, saying, Titus, if you have this role as a leader, it's because you are rendering a service to God. Now, when St. Paul uses the word servant, he specifically says in Greek, a doulos, right? A bond slave, doulos. And that's a, a very strong thing because he's actually saying, I'm not just a servant, meaning I'm doing something for God. I'm actually someone who has no ownership of my own. I am a slave of God. So he's, they translate it as servant because obviously there's some sort of nuance there about that, but it's a servant in total service. And that's how St. Paul actually looks upon his own role with respect to God. And in that perspective, he then goes on to say to St. Titus, all the things that Titus is supposed to do as a leader. Now, I'm not saying that you, at, you know, have to look at yourself as a slave in that perspective, but I am saying that the Christian understanding of leadership is that it is all an act of service and homage to God. That it's not about us perfecting ourselves on our own. That everything that we do is going back to a God who has called us to serve him as a, the sign of our greatest freedom and the greatest love that we could have in our life. That's the first challenge for us. Do I look at my profession in that perspective? Because if I do, then doing right for my customer, doing right for my employees, and doing right for the poor, it all becomes natural as, as a co coefficient of what I'm doing because I'm not doing this to exalt myself, right? There will be, of course, self-achievement. There'll be incredible things to applaud and be happy about. But are you looking at your role as if this was all about you? 
Or are you looking at this role as if this was the place God gave you to number one, glorify him, of course, but number two, help your fellow human beings. And, and the first is a worldly perspective. And the second is actually the Christian perspective. And it's the one that St. Paul challenges us with right off the bat. What an awesome thing, though, to think about. If I could actually define my role and my power in relationship with the infinity of God, uh, that's quite a perspective. The more a person considers themselves a servant of God, the better a leader of other human beings they're going to be. It's actually what guarantees that we as leaders do our job in the best way for our people. And so never be afraid of putting God first. If you put God first, you're going to put your people first. If you can't put God first, <laughs> then you're going to put yourself first and your people are going to suffer. It's just as simple as that. Anyway, St. Paul moves on here and he goes on with this incredible line, verse 5, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's an incredible statement right there. St. Paul is saying to St. Titus, I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. So he gives them a task and his task is very specific to put into order the things that he left behind him. Now, obviously this is a difficult task. Anyone who has been entrusted with the leadership that was begun by another knows what this feels like. And I just want to point out to all of you how refreshing it is to see that even here in the Bible and in the New Testament, the realism of the challenges of leadership are still present. It's one thing to be the founder and to go where there is nothing and to leave something behind. That's an incredible act of leadership. That's the leadership of St. Paul. But then you've got another difficult challenge, which is to take the work of a founder, take the work of a missionary who went into nothing and left something behind, and then make that flourish. And that's the work of St. Titus. St. Paul actually says at one point in his letters that that's not his grace. He's, he's, he always needs to go where no one had established a church first, okay? So he wanted to go where things were fresh and where he didn't have to deal with all of the politics and the feelings and all of those unique problems set of someone who has instead to follow in his footsteps. Well, Titus's role is not to found something. Titus's role is to set in order what was left behind by St. Paul. It takes a very different kind of skill set to do that. And we need to be able to identify if we are a founding kind of figure that the people who follow behind us are going to need us to support the fact that they have to work differently. It's not the same set of skills that enables you to found and the same set of skills that enables you to manage what someone else has founded. And we can be our own worst enemy because we can get in the way of the people that we put behind us by insisting that they do it not just our way, but that they do it as naturally, as freely, and as freewheeling as sometimes we have been. We need to accept that, boy, if you're following in someone's footsteps, that there needs to be a different set of focus. And that's exactly what St. Paul is doing here with St. Titus. He's like, St. Titus, I'm not asking you to found. I'm asking you to put into order what I've left behind and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we can really see that the pathway of St. Titus is not to be a towering founder figure. 
St. Titus is not a hugely remembered saint, but he became a saint by putting things into order and by establishing the hierarchy that would allow the institutional framework of the church to continue. And what a genius he must have been, how humble he must have been, but also what a uniquely gifted individual to take that initial charismatic impulse of St. Paul and to translate it into a system and into a hierarchy. And that those type of leaders are rare to find today, and yet they're extremely important for the success of any endeavor, even for the success of the church. The church is not just a place of constant expansion into missionary territories. It's all, it also needs to be a well-run organization, and that requires a Titus as much as it requires a Paul. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stgiantleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. All right, so let's pick up where we left off. Titus 1, verse 7, where St. Paul is leaving a real leadership lesson here to Titus and giving him direct direction. He says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, here you have a real fundamental insight into what Christian leadership has that's unique. Now, remember, what we're doing is contrasting the Christian leader and the Christian vision of leadership with a worldly leadership, which is not necessarily bad. Worldly leadership can still be very effective. The difference is that a worldly leader will always and only lead for a material earthly perspective. What Christianity brings that's refreshing to the table of leadership is that we open leadership up to the infinite. And the Christian perspective also insists that the leader's role is primarily that of a servant. Just like Paul says, I, who def he defines himself as a slave of God. The word is doulos in Greek, which is not just servant, but literally a slave. I have no ownership at all. I'm solely at your service. And therefore, he commands and leads the world because he follows God. In the same way, he then turns to, to St. Titus and says to him, if you are an overseer, and the word there in Greek is episkopoi, which is actually the Greek word that we translate today as bishop, right? But it means literally overseer, and therefore it can be applied to every one of you. Right? If you're in a job if you, where you have a management position or authority over a company or an organization, whatever it might be, you're an overseer. You could be the overseer of a family at the same time. The one who ru rules and looks out over all those young lives, looks out over your, your spouse, an overseer. says, ah, an overseer is God's steward. Now that word in Greek is also fascinating, okonomos which is where we get the same word for economy from, right? And it means one who has been given the household. Oikos in Greek is the house. 
And nemos is, is the Greek word or verb for to hand over. Usually this was a slave who had reached a certain level of emancipation and that had been made the managerial steward of the house. So it's literally someone who manages all of the household affairs of the owner, who looks after the scheduling, the repair, the maintenance, all of the, the, the laying out of the meals, the taking care of the inventory of the new things, buying what's needed, repairing what's needed, so that the manager can live the good life in the house. And I, and I put it this way on purpose because when you see it in that context, this idea that the leader is God's steward is actually a very gritty kind of thing. It's a very hands-on, difficult, uh, menial, and thankless task. Everyone comes to the house not to meet the house's steward, <laughs> but to meet the house's master. Right? And the same way everyone comes into the church not to meet the bishop, but to meet Christ. We aren't there, in other words, to see the person who's in power. We're there to receive the benefits of their power as we really dine and entertain and speak with the one who owns the whole enterprise. And so you and I have positions of power. We're running our organizations. We're founding our things. We're doing our, our daily tasks. We're managing our team. We've been given leadership. And that leadership, St. Paul says, is that of a steward. Meaning the real person people meet when they work with you ought to be the one for whom you're working. We say to ourselves, well, I'm not, I mean, like, that's my earthly boss. No, it's your heavenly boss. And that, what an incredible thought that he's put us in this little corner of the world called our advertising agency, right? Or our law, law firm or our store or our little living room where we're educating our little ones. And that little corner of the universe, he's made us the overseer so that we can manage his affairs for him. And that everyone who comes into contact with us it comes into contact with what we do, our company, our people, our policies, our procedures. Isn't that amazing? Our services, our products. They ought to, through the, that very contact, come into contact with the one who owns everything and for whom we labor so hard. And that is God himself. Don't look upon your business in a truncated way. Don't look upon your profession as something merely secular. You don't have to. There's a lot of Christians today who try to. We try to separate those two out. And we're like, okay, I've got my religious life. That's where God dwells. That's where I put my family. And then I do this thing on the side called my secular profession. And some of us are even a little bit ashamed of that because we make a lot of money by it or we are doing something that doesn't seem to be really related to our spirituality. And it might not be directly related, but it is indirectly related because of the one who is doing it. I am, in fact, the oikonomos of God, the steward whom God has put in charge of this affair to do it in his name, to do it with his love, to do it in his presence, and to do it as his slave. What an incredible perspective. And we're only on verse 7 here, but it's the key one. If you are an overseer, you are working as God's steward and therefore, he has this whole list. You have to be beyond reproach and all of the ethical things that come into play. And I love that because it really helps us to understand we who are involved as men and women of action in the professional world, we can sometimes feel like spirituality is far away from us. 
Because in spirituality, you have to be still, open your mind, spend hours trying to focus on God's presence, loving him. And that can just be very hard to, to do because all day long, we are making decisions. We are doing research. We're advancing projects. And to turn it all off to become spiritual can really be a daunting task. But here, St. Paul is showing us the key. First, accept that your mission is to be in charge of that house where he, that portion of God's house where he's put you. He has given you the stewardship of a certain level of his domain, right? And that's my mission. Therefore, having that mission, I'm now aligning everything else into that. I can actually find the motivation to be a great husband, to be a great father, to be a great wife, a great mother, to be a great person in our society in an ethical and, and Christian way because of the mission God gave me. If we start with our mission, our morality can flow into it. And what a blessing that is. It's a blessing that belongs to you and that you ought to use. You're a person of action. Well, in the name of God, the God whom you serve, then let your character serve that action. If I'm going to serve God by action, then my character needs to serve my action so that my action can serve God. To really align who I am behind that. That's the lesson he gives to Titus. Titus, in other words, we're God's servant and therefore we are the overseers of other people. Let us do it as a real steward. And to be that steward, it means to get out of the way. And, that way, and to get rid of our quick temper, our drunkenness, our violence, our greed for gain. To become hospitable, loving what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Because we realize that we have a job to do. A mission that's been entrusted to us by God. We are his overseer. And we're the one to whom he has entrusted his household. And we can actually have the joy of knowing that if we run his household well, everyone who comes into contact with us and everyone who comes into contact with his household will be able to meet him invisibly through us. That through our business endeavors and the quality of our services and the way our companies are managed and the wonderful workplace that we create, everyone who comes into contact with us will see there's someone whom they are serving greater than them. The ethical life of the Christian business leader bears witness to the one whom they serve by their greatness. The one whom we serve with all of our greatness, our utmost for his highest, is of course Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we're privileged to walk in his path and to serve his majesty. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.